It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Rohan Wittesen, CEO of New Laboratories. Rohan knows that beauty is more than skin deep. He has over 30 years of experience in the sector with a demonstrated history of success working in the cosmetics manufacturing, formulation, and distribution industry. What sets Rohan apart, though, is his continued focus on looking outside the box. The new laboratory's founder insists, quote, we need to place a focus on what new formulations can we learn about before how clients even know about it and how we can be on the front foot of it, period. The CEO attributes his worth ethic to his mother, stating, if I didn't have a very strong focus and savvy mother, I wouldn't be where I am today. I owe my drive to her. With partner Belinda and son William in his corner, Rohan shows perspective and gratitude when reflecting on his business journey, citing the reason for his success originating from opportunity. Rohan Wittison, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, you're recording on the other side of the planet. I'm uh, in my beautiful little apartment here in New Haven, uh, Connecticut, but I believe you are in Australia today, that's, if that's correct. That's right. I'm uh, down in Melbourne, Australia. We're kind of in the middle of our winter while hopefully you're enjoying yeah. your summer. Yeah. And we've, we've heard a lot in the news about Australia with the pandemic and lockdowns. I think you're under a recent one, or at least I think the East Coast was in, in Sydney. How has it been where you are? Um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. We're in uh, lockdown yeah. 6.0. Um, this is our 6.1. I think we've had probably close to about, a, I'm going to say maybe... 140, 50 days of lockdown since it started. Oh my God! Wow, so it's so so it's interesting, but it actually makes you resilient. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is part of the the new world. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, glad that you're there and safe, and uh, just great to have you on the show. And we always like to kick it off to understand a little bit about the early years. So tell us a little bit about you know where you grew up and uh, what your early family life was like. Yeah, um, look, growing up in Australia is uh, yeah. I mean, I grew up through the 70s, and it was it was fairly basic. I would probably say Australia really didn't emerge until into a really a world economy until the 80s. So right. um, it was very much a insular type of experience. But you know, I suppose that makes you resilient as a as a person, um, and it probably prepares you for the future because it's yeah. you know you're so far away from the rest of the world, you've got to be innovative. Did you grow up in the Melbourne area? Um, yeah, I grew up, I was born and grew up in Melbourne. Um, it was, you know, 
I suppose an atypical family situation, um, probably with the different spin that my my mother was already running her own company in the beauty sector, mm. which is you know going back into the 60s and 70s. That was kind of uh, it's early days, very innovative. Yeah. Early days, and for a female to do that um, was right. probably probably groundbreaking in the Australian context because that was very yeah. much a yeah. you know mum looks after the kids at home. In this case, right. mum, right. mum mum ran a company, so yeah. it, was re- it was a really good experience to see how that sort of unfolded as far as. Um, our life. It wasn't an atypical one, but it certainly opened insights. What about dad? Was he involved in the business or do you have another career? Um, no, my dad was actually in construction. Um, so okay. very, very different. Um, I think my parents were, were two very different people that found, uh, you know, something that, that worked for them. And, um, you know, it was, it was different. I mean, mum was working six, seven days a week. And, wow. yeah. um, I mean, dad, dad was the, I suppose that the, the mum, the dad, and um, everything else in between when it came to yeah. growing up. But that doesn't right, mean to say right. you didn't have a, a great mum who was there and showed you um, everything you could be. I mean, it was very much uh, if you want something, this is how you go about it. And um, it wasn't a, a situation where you would just go, hey, mum, I want. Mum would say, okay, <laughs> how, how do you achieve that? And um, yeah. you work for everything. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and she led you in the industry. We'll get to talk about that in the moment. So it's very Definitely. exciting. Now, uh, brothers and sisters. Um, I have a I have one brother who's um, a year oh. older, and oh, um, okay. he he sort of entered the, the the industry briefly, and I think he uh-huh. ran away, he ran away quite fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I decided it wasn't for him. <laughs> it wasn't for him. Um, no, it's. I think it's it's. This is an industry that's it's 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 a little bit creative. So you've got to be you know thinking on your toes all the sure. time. It, it's not. Sure. It's not. It's not your nine to five type of business. Yeah, yeah. Now uh, you know Australia, as is the U.S., is known for its immigrants, and I know you have a a name that would not be typically English in that regard. So do, do you go back uh, some generations with regards to immigrants? Where, where you know where's, oh, where's your family um, originally from? Oh, the. The, the family name goes back to convict days. Um, oh. So I, I traced it all the way back to, I think it was like 1837. Wow, um, wow. cool. It seems like some distant relative stole a chicken in England. Uh, <laughs> and they sent them off to Australia. And Lucky lit- you. And yeah, and <laughs> they decided to, uh, back, at, back in those days, we were really good landing ground for uh, everything that England didn't want. Um, right, right, and, right. Um, and I thanked them for, I thanked them for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. What about early influencers? Who are some of the folks? I mean, it sounds like mom had a pretty big role, and we'll talk more about her as we get into your career. But, uh, you know, were there special coaches or teachers that had an influence on you early on? Uh, look, mum was probably the, the big influence. Um, I mean, I yeah. suppose if I go back, you know, childhood was if you want something, then it's up to you. I think the big influence was when I, I, um, I started working with my mum in, in, in her company, uh, my mum said, you really don't want to be here. I'm not paying you. <laughs> Pretty much she said, I'm not, go- I'm not going to pay you. Um, and her, her, her comment was, you've got, to, you've got to make the business if you want to get paid. And mm. it was simply that. And you know, when I started, that was in 87, it was only just on the edge of the stock market crash. So it went from... Wow. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something, I'm getting somewhere to I'm paying wages on my credit card because right. there, there was no handouts um, and it was, yeah, it yeah. was really bleak. So it, it, 
it set, set really a tone for resilience and for um, watching what you do as a person as a, and as a company. And I, you know, even today I look back and when you know, staff say, let's do this and let's do that in my head, I'm going, <laughs> do, do, do I want to be loaded up with debt, debt right, waiting, waiting, right. for the ne- waiting for the next crash? Because yeah, yeah. If, if I go look at, say, you know, the past 12 months, you know, give the pandemic as an example, um, I, we were, I suppose, very fortunate here that the government had a thing called JobKeeper where they were literally, you know, paying companies to keep staff on, um, right. which was, you know, a really good form of, um, you know, retaining your staff. But yeah. in, in some respects, you know, it was it was overly generous welfare, um, right, and right. and it kind of exposed companies to, are you overcommitted? Can you really are, are you resilient? And in our particular case, I look back and go, hmm, everything that I learned growing up, really reflects upon how we actually, you know, thrived in the last twelve months. We came into a mm. pandemic with no debt. Um, yeah. we, we're not a lean operation, but we're a very efficient one. And a lot of that's borne out, you know, from like the early days when I go back, mum sure. said, my mum said, hey, if you, if you, there's no free handouts, you've got to generate everything you, you want. So, right. you know, right. it, it sounds, good philosophy. It, a good philosophy, it sounds kind of harsh. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you kind of okay. go, you kind of go, you know, as a, as a 19 year old back then starting out, um, it's like, really, I had to live on $100 a week. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but if I look, if I look at today, it's like, thank you very much, mum. Yeah. It's um, a good lesson to learn. Yeah. Were yeah, you good, were you a good student in school, right? Um, at high school, I would say I was extremely average. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, I passed high school. I, I went to university. Um, I originally studied politics and criminology. Um, huh? you know, I was probably, I don't know, somewhere, once again, I was somewhere in the average. Um, and where, where I actually, I suppose academically, where I actually thrived, it was wasn't till I hit the 2000s. I went back um, whilst you know still 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 working. I, I did a law degree, and I actually right. I actually found um, the academic side of law was was kind of what really ex, you know excited yeah. me. And so I went from being you know, in my original um, arts degree, being an average student to going to high distinctions. Um, right, right. When, um, you know, got excited in that area. I actually went on and did a, a Master of Laws at Strathclyde University in Scotland. And um, that was kind of an interesting thing. Once again, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is something that's, you know, I suppose um, sparks my interest. Right. And I never went on and, and pursued law. It was kind of one of these things where I went back to say, is this a plan B? And, yeah, um, right, right. And have I just that in your back pocket. Had yeah. it in my back pocket. You know, loved it academically. I would have. I, I think I would have loved to have been um, a lecturer at university. But sure. um, business called again, and that's you know that, that was I suppose my first love. Did you have some entrepreneurial uh, tendencies as a kid? Things that you did uh, growing up. You know, in the U.S., we kind of have the ubiquitous paper route, where you know the kids at you know single digits or well in the early 10, 11, 12 years would have that and. Um, was that kind of part of your growing up as well, or or did mom kind of throw you in the business and say sink or swim? <laughs> um, I, I did have I did have one rather failed entrepreneurial venture. Um, <laughs> so myself and my brother we used to, we used to race um, BMX on the national circuit here, ah, and right, so cool. you know that was kind of I suppose our sport growing up, and you know fortunate to have a parents who would support you during that and happy to fly you around the country, which was kind of amazing. Um, right, right. And um, I had this great idea to do this fiberglass seat post for racing. And I thought, mm. yes, 
this is great, this will sell. Um, yep, I was probably the only person who actually really <laughs> wanted one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I, my, my uncle was in engineering and he, he set me up with all the titanium and fiberglass and everything. Wow. And wow, cool. um, I, I, I hand built them and then I realized nobody wanted them. So <laughs> I, I think, I think that, that, that says a lot about, um, let's do your market research properly. Well, it talks you about consumer needs, right? It's, yeah. it's like, you know, so when, a, I mean, it's kind of funny when a client comes to us even today, I go, does anybody really want this? Yeah, uh, right, right. And you kind of go back, I've got some fiberglass uh, seat posts in my backyard if you'd like. But um, <laughs> let me tell you this story. I let me let, me let me tell you the story. Um, but I, I mean, uh, the, the, they're all they're all good things from childhood. You know, it's sure. it, you know, and if I actually you know if I go back and you go like, you know, these are the things my parents did. I think my parents are actually a bit generous when you think about it. I think I think my son my son's now paying for this. So uh, <laughs> I love it. Well, you went on and got a number of degrees, as you mentioned earlier. You got your law degree, but you studied politics and I think education as well as undergrad. Did Correct. Did you have some aspirations with regards to, you know, public service? Was that where your interest is at that time, or what led you to that field of study? Um, no, look, public service was was never on the top of my agenda. I mean, mm -hmm. I had a I had this brief fleeting idea that politics might be something, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and um, I was you know, briefly involved in the Liberal Party here, which is the equivalent, I suppose, the Republican America. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then I sort of looked. At, you looked inside and you go, "Really? That's that's <laughs> not really what I want to do. That's 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 not getting me excited." Um, yeah. So no, I mean there wasn't. You know, that brief look inside. You know, was like, mm, no. One, one getting involved in one campaign was enough. Um, right. So yeah. look, I, mean, I, I think I know, it, it's one of these things where I had no rule book besides mum. You, yeah. you know, I mean, mum said if you want anything, you've got to do it yourself. So I didn't have really a rule book, um, which is a plus and a minus. Um, right. You know, you right. kind of look back and go, gee, it would have been really great to intern at a at a large company in the sector to. Um, really get into what it means to do what they do and, and how do they build it. Um, but then that would have been a, a set of rules I would have followed that probably would have had a very different outcome. Sure, um, sure. And I suppose if I, if, if I look at today when I am dealing with companies, you know, who who, who very, you know, very structured in, in the sense that, you know, people come through and they work in a department or they're a specialist in a certain area. It, it you know, my feeling is it's very one dimensional as far as um, who you can be as a person and right. who you can be right. in business. And so, uh, you know, that, that type of fluid approach probably, you know, probably benefited me. Yeah, absolutely. What, what was, was the first, first job, job you took coming out of university? The first job, um, Working at Hungry Jack's, which is equivalent, <laughs> which is equivalent to Burger King. Um, so right, it's, it's right. A, so yeah. it, it's it's uh, it's actually literally Burger King in Australia with a different name. Um, yeah, yeah uh, doing an evening shift making hamburgers. Um, <laughs> it was it was pretty exciting. I, I did get fired from the job. Um, <laughs> I found that I wasn't a good employee. Um, so yeah, I don't think the boss appreciated my my uh, critique. Um, <laughs> Um, and then after that, I was stacking shelves 
at a, at a large supermarket chain at night, so what they called night fill. So the in, back in those days, sure. the supermarkets actually used to close at six o'clock. Um, yep. And so you'd go in afterwards and you'd restack the shelves. Um, it, it really taught you what you didn't want to do in life. Um, right, right. Those are good jobs to have early on. <laughs> I always tell my audience, you know, find, figure out what you don't want to do early on, right? I mean, and that I, way, you know, helping with your choices. I mean, I mean, the funny thing is here in Australia, those jobs actually pay quite well. Um, uh-huh. so, right, so right. You, can, you can actually see how you can get into this sort of lull of it's it's not a challenging role quite clearly and people people get into that but it's it's one of these things where you go hmm that's another insight and it, it does push you in the direction of um it's a, you know the sink or swim situation um, sure you know you, you can either cruise or you can jump in deep and see what comes from it right right cool well, you obviously spent over 30 years in the beauty care business, and we talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago when we connected. Um, worked with a lot of different contract manufacturers, and now you're one yourself. So yep. tell us a little bit about how that transitioned. Did, did you go to work for mom soon thereafter and into that business, or did you strike out on your own in the, in the industry? Um, I, I suppose, uh, look, I, I always stay connected to the family company and, and right. had, had an involvement in that over the decades. Um, but I, I struck out pretty early. So I think by the early nineties, I had, um, connected with a company in Belgium who were, I suppose, very specific in the area. They were manufacturing and, and, and developing products for the sort of the higher end spa sector. Um, right. and I connected them through, you know, through our, our family company and, and I got involved with them for a, a good a good part of the 90s <coughs> and um, came on board as a um, I suppose the you know, sales and marketing for Southeast Asia and um, that gave you I suppose the first big insight to I suppose the international platforms and, and what's right. out there so that sort of led me down this path from you know seeing the product development and manufacturing insights seeing the pluses and minuses very innovative company but certainly lacked a structure and direction that would actually sustain them long term um but you know that that landed me um at the seat of the ta- at a seat um with a joint venture in china in 97 and all right cool so i'm you know at this stage you know i'm you know quite young still and um here i am you know in a country that has a whole new set of rules um and getting to see the insights there so you know Australia to China isn't so bad. I think it's, I don't know, maybe for us it's short. It's probably about eight, an eight-hour flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you end up in this sort of shuttling situation where you're going backwards and forwards. And that's kind of where, you know, <coughs> I suppose my eyes opened. Okay, the world is bigger than Australia. The world is bigger than one country. Um, and to be seeing China prior to its really big boom, which, you know, happened in the 2000s, um, provide you a lot of insights. So I think there's the, the, that's kind of like the journey where it's, you know, throw yourself out there and see what comes from it. And, and that provides right. a lot of insights to where I am now. Yeah, awesome. When was the first time you started managing people? Um, it was actually, look, when, when I joined, joined my mum's company was, um, that, that was my role, sadly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very big insight. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so 
coming in at 19 and managing staff who were 20 years plus older than me. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, from their point of view, it's like, you know, it's the boss's son. Um, right, right, I, right. I, you know, I, I get it. I, I see their perspective. But at the same time, it, it's fairly obvious if you're doing your job right or not. Um, yeah. And um, what were the, some of the lessons learned during that period? This is going to sound really harsh. Uh, but the first thing, I suppose my first big insight was if you let, like, there's one thing nurturing, and I'm all for nurturing, I'm, I'm all for giving people the ability to um, take a lead and discover what's possible. But at the same time, right. it's, if it's toxic, they have to go. It, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't inspire a great culture. No, uh, absolutely. And my first lesson is, back then was the industrial relations system in Australia. So. You know that was interesting. I, I did have to I did have to terminate a staff member quite early, and mm. my my lesson was in Australia at the time terminating was very tough. Um, yeah. You know I ended up in court and all sorts of things, and we did. Was we, it a union union environment? I presume. Uh, no, it wasn't a union environment. We yeah. we we have a fairly tough industrial relations system. Um, it right. doesn't. You know. It's there to protect workers, and I'm totally for that. The flip side to it is sometimes it allows people to um, take advantage of the take, system. Take, take advantage, and you know, yeah, in, yeah. In, that, in that particular situation, it was that that case, and um, we we did prevail. It was it was very much a, a very good lesson. It was, but the lesson was about at a certain point in time, if something's not working, don't hold on to it, hoping that it will change. Yeah. Um, yeah. And right. and that was a really good early lesson, and it's something I've carried forward. And and I you know I have been in the situation multiple times since where we've had to let people go, and it has ended up in legal situations. But you can't be afraid of that because yeah, yeah. Right. to hold to hold for eternity is to actually well number one set a bad example for the rest of your team. But the other side is you are now setting yourself up for. Um, literally failure as a company because right, right. you know if you don't have a great team of people then what are you I mean it's you, you, you're you're a name but you don't have the skills or you don't have the commitment from your from the people around you to take you to where you need to be and right. I mean even to this day that's that's one of the really big big lessons and you know if I go back you know just as the pandemic started last year, I remember standing there with all our team and everybody's looking at me going, what's, <laughs> what's, what's going on? What's next? Yeah, and right, and, and right. I stood there with everybody and you know, we didn't know if we were gonna go into a, you know, a global recession, if the world right. was falling apart. Right. And I stood there right. and said, okay, nobody needs to panic. Um, I will pay all your wages for the next 12 months, even if we don't generate one cent, mm. I said, we have wow. a great, we've got a great team of people, and this is right down to the p the person on the production line. Um, yeah. You know, I had I had one of my production managers come to me and say, "Should I be looking?" Literally said, "I've got an offer from a friend to, to to work elsewhere. Can I can I do you do you do you mind if I just leave and take that job while I feel safe?" Huh. And and I said to her, "I said, look, I totally understand where you're coming from. You've got a responsibility to your family, but don't worry, we have enough cash in the bank to take us through. We're prepared." And it was about, we can buy, as we say, I say to my staff, look, I can go out and buy equipment. That's easy, but I can't buy people. We've got a great team right. of people right. we will hold you together. So one of those elements I, I've looked at over the years is if you have a great team of people yeah. and you manage that effectively, that will lead, to, lead, lead your company to the next level. 
through highs and lows and it does make you more astute as an employer about who you do hire as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Do, do they fit my culture? And people, and people repay you back for that loyalty too, Ryan, don't they? You know, by, by stating your, your willingness to stand behind them, they do buckle up and say, yes, I, I want to stay with you as well. Did that happen with that particular employee? Did she stay um, on? Um, yeah, look, and, and she's, one of, look, yeah. she's one of our best team members. Uh, yeah, it's and, awesome. And look, you know, she's, she's young, and one of the things I, th I think she's learned in the last year is that um, nothing in business is black and white. And, right. you know, right. the, the, I think the nurturing we've done with her has paid us back tenfold because then obviously she's leading her team of people and she's, she's taking that same philosophy through to them. And, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that makes, I think, even on that level, it just makes us a more efficient and, yeah. focus, and focused company. Huge difference. So you were on the, um, on the, on the manufacturing and, and uh, uh, consumer side of it very long. And, and with new laboratories, you've, you've switched to the, co to the contract side. We talked a little bit about your thinking behind that because I think you kind of had to do a little bit of a 180. So to talk to us a little bit about that. How did you kind of make that tra transition from you know, being on the branded side right, for so many years of your career uh, to, to starting new laboratories? Um, yeah, so I worked on the branded side of the industry for a long time, um, and we did it with with um, one of the uh, companies I, I was leading. We were we were, we were manufacturing our own brand, and and we, I think we got to a certain point that for me it was a fork in the road. Um, you yeah. know, back in two thousand and fourteen, um, I had we had a. a our son William, and um, that kind of, I suppose, for me, changed the perspective about who, who I was and what I was doing. I was spending mm. a good slice of my year on the road overseas, traveling um, yeah, yeah. and traveling, and and that's something, you know, I suddenly just didn't want to do. And right. um, you know, I think one of the things that you know I'm sort of rolling forward now, and you're in 2018. I was pretty much at the point where it's like, look. Everything I'd set myself up for retirement was there. So by that time, you know, off the top of my head, 2018, you know, I'm in my, I suppose now I'm verging on 50. Um, and I'm asking myself the question, is this really where I want to go? And then yeah. um, a, a, former, a former team member who was working in the raw material side of the industry um, kind of said to me, have you ever thought about contract manufacturing? And mm. I was like, have I ever thought about dealing with other people's prob problems? No, I haven't. <laughs> Taking and a gun to my head. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I looked at the, the, the contract manufacturing landscape previously, and all I saw was, you know, literally you are playing with a whole lot of people's problems and issues that, I really didn't want at that point, but yeah, yeah. Um, and you'd worked with them previously, right? You 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 had suppliers and vendors that were contract manufacturers. Yeah, well, look, that's correct. So, I mean, <coughs> there's a there's a funny story how how I, how out the brand I was running even ended up in the, in our own manufacturing space. So we were a client of a contract manufacturer here in Australia, and you know our understanding we were one of the one of their bigger clients, and um, we were very. We're very, we were a very involved client. We weren't just as hands-off. We, uh, we even had a team member 
on-site full-time, managing wow. our issues. Um, you know, it's very unusual, you know, sort of situation. And then one day they came along to me and said, we know how well you're doing. And I'm like, sure, we're doing well, fantastic. Um, <laughs> we know how much money you're making. I'm, I'm sitting here going, how could you know how much money we're making? Mm. What, what we spend with you is no reflection about our bottom line. You have no idea right. of our costs. And um, so they said, well, we're going to put your prices up. Huh. I'm like, oh, sure. That's what you do. And, you know, you had prices double and triple overnight. And wow. um, I thought, well, contract manufacturing is not profit sharing. Um, it's, no. it's, it's a process <laughs> of you deliver quality. We pay you, we pay you on time. And in our case, we paid them every single week. And um, that pivoted. I suppose I've got to thank them now. Um, they kind of provided me an, uh, an insight into what's possible. And, and I, I'm, I pivoted literally overnight into manufacturing and, mm. you know, very, what's the word? I suppose naive to some extent. I went, okay, mm. sure, we can do this. Um, hopped on a plane, you know, went and saw all the, the machinery companies we needed. Um, literally just went with an open checkbook. In some cases we were flying you know, two, three ton machines in by plane. Wow. Um, wow. And it was, we moved that fast where it was like, we can't wait two months for shipping. We need to fly it in um, mm. to pivot. We went out and I literally went out and bought a factory. I even remember doing the deal as the plane landed back in Melbourne with the, with the uh, real estate agent and, and bought the, uh, bought the factory whilst disembarking, um, <laughs> which was, which I can imagine the people around me going, What's, what's going on here? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> um, by the time I got off the plane, we owned a factory. Um, wow. But it was very much, you know, you throw yourself in deep. The worst you can do is fail. Um, right. But right. I, I've always had this philosophy, which is, you know, failure to plan is planning to fail. Um, yeah. So th it, it is with, you know, plans in the background. But that led us into manufacturing, which led us into making our own our own brand, which got me to this point in 2018 where I'm sitting there going it's retirement time you know I've mm. worked I've worked hard I've prepared for this and then it's suddenly like oh, okay let's let's go back to the casino let's roll the dice <laughs> and um, over a, over one weekend and I think it was in s September October of 2018 um, I sat down and said okay this is where we're going so and then Monday morning we woke up as new laboratories um, which kind of, I suppose, surprised most of my staff who didn't realize what we were suddenly going to be. Um, mm -hmm. And some of those staff, it didn't work for them in terms of the yeah. new context, and, and they did move on. And that, mm. that was very much a, a voluntary situation where it's like, this is a very different dynamic. So when you're, when you're manufacturing for yourself, you've got time to get things in a certain way. When you're manufacturing right. with somebody else, it's a different pace and it's, yeah. it's yeah. a different demand. And it, it demands a level of creativity and lateral thinking. It's not just about, yeah, yeah it's right. it's a whole different world. So that went from zero and it sort of, you know, I think to, it, it had a level of this momentum where you kind of saw there was brands out there who were looking for a new home where somebody actually understood what a brand was. And I think that's what we discovered quite early mm. on was our point of difference was that most contract manufacturers 
they came from a business management point of view or they were cosmetic right. chemists who morphed into something different. Um, but very few came from the point of view of what it means to be a brand, to understand yeah. the metrics. Yeah. So when a client was coming to us with some great idea that had no financial hope of succeeding, <laughs> you, you would sit down and say, look, can I suggest a different way around this? Right. And right. Um, I think one of our uh, one of our most successful clients was actually one of our first who, mm. um, you know, the little story there was she, you know, and she still tells it to me from time to time was, um, you know, she called around various manufacturers with her idea and nobody would give her the time of day. Mm. And apparently, I don't even recall the conversation, but apparently I spent two hours on the phone talking about everything, um, sharing my insights. And she hopped off the phone and said, that's my manufacturer. Wow. And um, came in and saw us and, you know, it was a really small production run to start with. And we, her, her idea, I looked at it and said, that's a good way to fail. I do remember the meeting and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it, what she wanted. I'm like, nobody's buying this. And um, we came up with a different approach to it. Yeah. But that morphed her into, I think now, I think she does maybe 10, 15 million turnover. Um, nice. You know, and that's in the space of a few years. She was, yeah. um, I think, mid twenties at the time. Uh, mortgaged her home. Um, mm. Wanted to, you know, wanted to start this brand. And you look at you look at it from that sort of point of view, and you go, look, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna salute you for taking a risk, but right, but right. take take an educated risk, and right, and, right. and I think that's where a good contract manufacturer comes in, and they they understand where you've been, and say, look, risk, go for it but it's got to be calculated and it's got to right. be commercial. It's got to be something that consumers are going to love. And I think that's where our point of difference is. And we want to see our clients succeed because quite clearly they, sure. su they succeed, we succeed. You uh, succeed, yeah. Um, well, is that kind of one of your, your, your key points of difference and, and competitive advantage in the sense that you really do work with them and helping them develop their ideas further beyond their original concept? Oh, 100%. And look, we... Yeah. we it doesn't matter whether they're a startup or an established company. Yeah, um, right, right. You know, we, we say quite clearly, we say, look, we're not here to run your brand and tell you what to do, but we're going to offer our insights because at the end of the day, if you just manufacture this once, it's been a waste, yeah. of, ti waste of time for you and us. It, it hasn't, That's hasn't, right, yeah. hasn't achieved anything. What, what we look for in our clients is hopefully what they look for in us, which is a long-term relationship. And we yeah. we say quite openly, this this, this is a marriage. You know, you've got to be right. you've got to right. be sure that the person you're going to be betting down with for the next couple of years or even decade is the right person. Otherwise, this is going to fail. And right. and, and look, we've 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 passed on clients that are you know very successful based on it's not a it's not a the relationship doesn't feel good. And right, right. Uh, so it's not about for us, money's everything. Um, it's it's about the relationship because if it's a great relationship, it means my team will engage, and it's also about you know how much they're they're enjoying their roles. It's um, of course, and yeah. we've had we've had some amazing people come to us, and we've sat back and said, this this is this is a babysitting role. That's not right. that's not who right. we are. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, we're, yeah. we're not going to. We're happy to show you the pathway, but we're not going to take you down that pathway step by step. You've got to do something. And I think the best relationships we have with our clients are the ones who, it's not about them listening to everything we say, it's about them taking on our ideas and making them their own. 
Um, And, but if we have to spoon feed the client every step, I think that's not the best relationship because they're not going. And it's not fun. (laughs) Let's face it. It's not, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's not, it's not, (laughs) you've got to enjoy what you're doing. Oh, look, 100%. And and it's, it's not, it's not an enjoyable experience where the client will keep, will not listen to the, the cues you're sending them. Um, they have to, at some point, take responsibility for who they are as a, as a person and as a company. Um, right. And, you know, the, the, the feedback overall is, you know, our team works well with people who are engaged at the same level. It's, right. you know, yeah. we'll suggest this. We don't, we're not saying do it, but if you don't even explore it and come up with, yeah. come up right. with an idea, then how is this going to work? Yeah, yeah. How many employees today at New Labs? Um, we're 25, which in right. manufacturing sometimes seems small, but right. one, of the, one of the other things I learned very clearly in, in the early days is you cannot succeed in our industry by throwing more people at the solution. Right. Um, right. And that's, that's one of the things that we learned. I learned, I think, on day one, um, <laughs> where you stand back and say, you know, without being harsh, isn't there a machine for that? Um, right, right, right. And, and, and I think our, I think our innovation, uh, you know, on that side has been what's le- you know led, given us that strength. Um, yeah. I would probably say, you know, in most manufacturing spaces, for what we do, you would need probably seventy-five to a hundred people. Yeah. Um, wow. And our investment on the technology side's been huge. I mean, there's yeah, much more know, efficient. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I think one of the things we've looked at very clearly from the from the word go is, um, you know, you you've got to have people obviously because you know that's that's an important part of about how we innovate from the product development side. We've got a great team of chemists. You can't you can't mechanize that. But when it comes down to the production side you have to have a great team of people on quality control because whilst sure. whilst there are machines you can pick up elements of quality control there's a human element that's really really important but repetitive tasks you know we looked and said they just have to be um, automated because right. economically in Australia where our wages are very high like you yeah. Av- yeah. I mean your your average production worker um, is probably earning anywhere from you know 33 to up to $45 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You cannot win by just putting more people on the line. It, right. it, right. do, it doesn't work. So that's probably been what one of our big strengths yeah. it has been, you know, how can, how, how can we succeed with a smaller team of people? Yeah. How has your leadership style evolved over time? Um, my personal leadership style, that's a very interesting one. Um, I think I've learned to stand back um, mm. you know, it, you, you start, I mean, I think empowering the team to take responsibility has been one of the hardest lessons I've had to do. Um, right. I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a born micromanager mm. and you know, that just comes from, you know, go back to my early days. It's right. if, if you, if you want something, you've got to do it yourself, <laughs> um, through to, okay. Let's 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 have a project meeting, and then move forward. So it's it's interesting, you know. If I go back to 2018, every day I would, I'd probably spend the vast majority of my time on the factory floor, um, right, right. dealing with issues. 
and today when I walk in each day um, it, it's re it's re some days I just even don't go onto the factory floor now which is a bit of a sign that you know the, the nurturing and the empowering the team has mm. has given them that confidence to just go ahead and do it um, and right, for me right. to also realize my I'm not the solution to everything that you need <laughs> that you need that team of people around you so um, you know that my style has changed quite dramatically in, in the last few years yeah cool what do you look for when you invest in people you uh, hire and bring into the company um, the, I suppose what I'm looking for is their point of difference um, hmm. you know what what I mean what can you bring to the party? I mean, uh, just an example is um, we hired a, a new chemist probably late last year, and um, you know she was younger. She she'd worked at a you know a large a large company for two years out of university, and we kind of had this sort of broad ranging discussion. <coughs> on the uh, I should sort of preface this on the phone. We talked a little bit about you know what the role was. And she actually, mm -hmm, yeah. and we were talking about you know a project we were looking at this particular product, and um, she came to the interview with a sample of the product. She decided in her own little home lab to, to, <laughs> oh, to made it herself. Made it herself, and she actually came to the interview with this actual product and said, wow. "I wanted to show you this based on what we talked about." And I suppose if you look at that, I, I said, "Well, okay, that that person's taken initiative." Yeah, right. And and that's one of the things, you know, we look at when we're hiring is sure. do we do we I suppose the question we have is do we need another person in a role or do we need somebody who's going to take the initiative and, and going to take on innovation as part of their uh their their their, their core responsibility. And right, and that right. I mean that that also applies to you know, somebody who's, you know, who might come, I mean, the example, if I look at our production manager, she came in as somebody who's literally was a, a pack and fill role on the production line. Mm. And, you know, she went from there's her hourly rate and um, through to um, she's now, you know, a salary, she's on salary, she's got security. Right. And, yeah. she, and the interesting thing about this in, when people meet her, they're expecting to see a production manager who's 40 years old. Uh, <laughs> she's, she, she's 21. Wow, that's okay. amazing. Right, so yeah. in two years she's been with us. She went from that to production manager and she actually, I suppose, she was a, uh, she sat back and watched all the other production managers come and go, um, all the seasoned professionals. Right. And the one thing sh I think she learned from it is you have to lead by example rather mm. than telling people go do it yeah. and yeah. Yeah. that's one of the things once again it's like she took initiative and I remember um, when we and how she sort of stepped up into the role once again same thing it's we were relocating um, just as the pandemic hit last March to a new factory and I knew, obviously, I know, I know my team, but I didn't really know a lot about her. And she stepped up right. to me and she just said, look, you know, with this move, um, if you want me to go get a forklift license because we're going to need, we're going we're to need, we're going to need extra people moving backwards and forwards on both ends of, you know, 
of the old factory, the new factory. Right. Yeah. And right. I'm like, sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's initiative. That's initiative. So she actually, it, it was, a, that was that one little simple thing she did where yeah. she's yeah. like, everybody else was just like, okay, tell me my job. And right. she right. stepped up and said, hey. And I went, sure. You know, what a difference we, that makes. We got, yeah. we got her a license the next week. And then a few months later, the, the current production manager um, who'd been, I suppose, been there long enough had said, look, it's time for me to go. I've had enough. Mm. Um, you know, some people look for greener pastures. And this person <coughs> st stepped into the role yeah. and, and hasn't looked back since. And, and Never looked back. Yeah. And, and that's yeah, one of the things. It's like, you know, don't tell me you... Don't tell me you want a job. Tell me what it is you're yeah. going to bring to the job. Um, right, right. And, and I think that's one of my, the, the lessons we've had on the hiring side. It hasn't yeah, always been an awesome. e easy conversation because sometimes people yeah. have come from a big corporate setting and that may right, provi right. provide them a, the support systems and the comfort. Um, whereas, you know, I've still maintained a level of, you know, you've got a level of innovation and what you do as a person. You've got to be... You can't ask for everything up front. You've got to show right. what, what you can deliver. Yeah. Well, Rohan, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question we ask our guests. And you know, what career and life advice would you give someone that perhaps has his or her eyes on the corner office or, or like yourself, you know, has decided that, you know, they really want to be an entrepreneur after maybe working for others uh, for so many years? That's a great question. Um, the, I suppose look, the best advice, and I always look back and say, what advice would I give my 20-year-old self? There you go. And that's how yeah. I always look at it, is yeah. if you're starting out and this is where you want to be, it's, you know, take off the parachute, mm. um, dive in head deep, um, be prepared to fail. You probably will fail at some stage, but mm -hmm. that's, that is a learning lesson in life and take all the lessons you have and then that will get you to where you need to be. And that's, yeah. that's always been my philosophy. It's if you don't take a risk, there is no reward. So if you want the corner office, um, if you want my corner office, then, <laughs> then it, it's time to take the parachute off and dive deep. Yeah, love it. Well, Ro Rohan Woodson, thank you so much. CEO of, of New Haverty, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. And thanks so much for your time, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.